Welcome to Amici, News and Insights from the New York Courts. I'm John Carr. Dr. Betty Campbell, the first African-American female commissioner of jurors, not only in Westchester County, but the entire state of New York, joins us today for a diversity dialogue interview. A single mother just out of high school, Betty was raising her child, working full-time, and pursuing an associate's degree at night. After earning her associate's degree, she went on to earn a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. That led to a job in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, and she spent a decade in the Witness Aid Service Unit, the Alternative to Incarceration Unit, and the Drug Treatment Alternative to Prison Program, which she spearheaded. While working in the DA's office, Betty earned a Master's in Public Administration from New York University. She came to work for the court system in 2002, planting and overseeing 35 problem-solving courts in the 9th Judicial District which encompasses Westchester, Putnam, Dutchess, Rockland, and Orange Counties. In 2011, Betty earned her doctorate in education, and in 2017 became the first commissioner of jurors of color ever in Westchester and the first female jury commissioner of color in the entire state. Uh, Betty, thank you for joining us. Let's start at the beginning. Always a good place to start. Tell me about your roots, if you would. Uh, Where are you from? What was your childhood like? Who are your early role models? Uh, sure. Um, I'm from Westchester County. I grew up in New Rochelle, New York. I am the youngest child in a blended family. Um, my siblings would say that I am my parents' and grandparents' dreams realized. Um, I'm a granddaughter of a sharecropper. My mother migrated to New York from the segregated South. Um, my father was born and raised in New Rochelle. Um, I would say that my childhood was challenging. Um, coming from a blended family, I always loved the Brady Bunch um, because they were a blended family. However, at the end of the episode of a, of a Brady Bunch episode, everything seemed to have worked out in the end. However, um, that was not necessarily my case in a, in a blended family. However, um, my childhood, I would say, was filled with some adversity, a little bit of trauma. However, uh, those experience, experiences did not define who I am today, um, but they are definitely a part of my patchwork. So it, it's pretty obvious that you enjoy learning and consider education important because it appears you are, you've been a perpetual student, associate's degree, bachelor's degree, master's degree, doctorate degree. Where does that come from, that, that uh, interest in education? I would say um, my parents uh, really impressed upon me the importance of education. Although I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a perpetual student, um, my educational pursuits really served as a pathway for me to obtain employment that would lead to a career. Um, I worked full-time. I was a, a, a young mother. Um, I worked full-time and attended school in the evening. And um, again, as a young mother, I had to work during the day, and I went to school at night, and, and I did it in incrementally. Um, and I would say, lastly, I made a promise uh, to my parents. As I said, I was a, a young mother, and um, my father asked me to uh, make a promise to him that I would finish my education. And um, I did that because um, 
I didn't want the sacrifices that my parents made for me uh, to be in vain. That's a great story. Now, your education led you to a job in the DA's office, and, and what did you learn working in the DA's office? Great question. Um, I learned that justice takes on many different forms. Um, in the district attorney's office, I worked first with crime victims in the witness, witness aid service unit, and then um, defendants in the alternative sentencing unit, and then predicate felons in the DTAP program. And everyone had different needs and different outcomes. Um, in the DA's office, I was introduced to the practice of restorative justice, um, especially in the alternative sentencing unit in, in the DTAP program, um, because those units' res response to criminal behavior focused on restoring harmony between the offender and society. In the alternative to sentencing unit, it was a unit that was responsible for um, assigning individuals to various community service projects. So if you uh, had a case and your disposition was community service, the alternative to uh, sentencing unit actually assigned people to various uh, community service. Um, let's see, I also learned how to work with different populations of people who are involved in the criminal justice system. And I would say that, lastly, working in the DA's office prepared me for my career with the courts. Um, I learned how to work across departments and serve as a liaison between the DA's office, the courts, city agencies, uh, NYPD, and various community stakeholders. I also learned how to build bridges between various stakeholders. Um, I'd like to say I learned, that's where I learned how to create space at the table for others to join into the conversation. And so I learned a lot from the DA's office. Again, it really prepared me for my career in the courts. Why did you want to come to the court system? Interestingly, when I was working in the DA's office um, at the time, there was a report written by the New York State Commission on Drugs in the courts for uh, Chief Judge Judith Kay. And I remember receiving a copy of the report which recommended that the state courts make drug treatment available to nonviolent addicts in every jurisdiction in the state. And after reading that report, I said to myself, I said, wow, you know, I really would like to be a part of this new and innovative initiative. Plus, I knew that the implementation of drug treatment courts throughout the state would change the landscape of prosecutor-based programs. And so, um, with the encouragement of some of the judges that I worked with and my um, boss at the time in the DA's office, really encouraged me to uh, apply for a position with the state courts. It strikes me that you are a person who likes to make an impact. I do. I do. Um, I like. I. I genuinely like helping people, um, and I, I think that's been a part of my life's work and in, in helping uh, people get to where it is that they want to go. Now, in your current your current position. I see is, is rather challenging in a lot of ways. And, you know, it's obviously your job to ensure, ensure a fair and representative jury pool. And we both know that there is, sadly, 
a very long history of discrimination and intimidation designed to keep people of color out of the jury room, which perhaps contributes to a skepticism among people of color that continues to this day. I, I've heard other commissioners say in frustration that they often hear that people of color uh, sometimes don't respond to jury questionnaires or summonses because they don't trust the system, which of course perpetuates the problem of black litigants and black defendants coming to court and not seeing anyone who looks like them. I'm sure that's all familiar to you, but well, has that been your experience? Yes, I would say that um, early in my tenure um, as commissioner, um, I can share with you a, a uh, interaction that I had with a young man of color Please go. who was summoned for jury service, and he appeared for jury service. He came up to me in our central jury room, and he was quite upset at the fact that he received a summons, and um, he didn't want to stay. And that day, the panel that we called in was instructed that they would need to report the next day because the case that was on our calendar was adjourned to the next day. So the jurors that we called in were going to need to report back the following day. And this juror uh, came into my office, and again, he was very upset and adamant about why he couldn't serve. And um, I brought him into my office and I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to get to this, I wanted to understand why he couldn't serve. And, you know, first he said, you know, that he had work obligations. And I explained to him, you know, in New York State, we do not have any automatic exemptions. And that, you know, I explained the, the, pathway with respect to employment. So, you know, that his employer uh, couldn't keep him from serving. And we started to talk some more, and he said to me, listen, he goes, I don't trust the system. He goes, you know, I need to work. I just got off of probation, and, you know, I, I can't do this. You know, why, why would I want to be a part of a system or, or participate and, you know, when, when I had my case, and again, I just want to say that um, after talking to him, you know, he had, clearly he had an experience on the criminal side, and he said to me, he goes, you know, um, I, I took a plea because I didn't think I could get a fair trial. I didn't think anybody would look like me in the jury box, and so I ended up taking a plea. So I don't want anything to do with this system. And I said to him, I said, wow, this is really interesting. I said, because you're eligible to serve. You know, you, 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 you're qualified to serve as a juror, but yet you don't want to do the same thing that you accuse other people of not doing. You didn't you took a plea because you thought that that you wouldn't have a jury that looked like you, but yet you received an invitation, and you don't want to be a part of this system, but you can make a difference. Um, you can do for someone else what you think other people wouldn't do for you, and that's answer the call and be present. And so, you know, we had this conversation, and he left. And I wasn't sure whether or not he was going to come back the next day, but he did. He came back the next day, and uh, my staff came, and they got me, and they said, you know, this young man returned back 
um, for service. And he looked at me and he said to me, he goes, you didn't think I was going to come back. And I said to him, no, I knew in my heart you were going to come back because I think you knew how important it was for you to be in the room, for you to be present. And I told him, I said, you know, again, I was very early on in my tenure, and I said to him, I said, wherever I go and I talk about the importance of jury service, I'm going to talk about you. Um, And I think it was very significant because he needed to know how important his presence, that representation was to our process to have um, a diverse jury pool. What What a great story. And uh, what a moving story! You know, one thing jumps out at me though in your, in in, in what you said, your choice of words. You referred to the jury summons as an invitation. Yes, I do. I do. Um, I think that when you think about jury service, you know, depending on who you're talking to, a lot of people will say, "Well, you know, you know, when I get a summons, you know." I'm I'm required, I'm obligated to be there. And I want people to look at it a little bit differently because jurors play, I tell jurors who who come um, and report for service that they are helping us fulfill our mission, which is to ensure that any individual who has a matter before the state courts can exercise their constitutional right for a jury trial. And so... I ask people to reframe it, to not think about it as a summons and a demand to be here, but to really look at it as an invitation to be a part of something great. And that's our justice system, because our justice system works when we, the people, are engaged and involved. And and so I like to change the narrative I do when I go out and I speak in community groups or just talking about the importance of jury service. I say, please accept my invitation. And um, I've had a few jurors that I've um, that have reported for jury service, and they all go in the central jury room. I got my invitation, <laughs> and I'm RSVPing, and it's it's great because we're changing the narrative. Um, I think. When, when jurors understand or prospective jurors understand not only that their time is that they're giving the court system the most valuable gift that they have, which is the gift of their time. And when we acknowledge that and, and when we share with them the importance of the work that they're doing, I think it makes a difference, um, especially in these trying times. Um, we have impaneled, we've been impaneling grand juries since July. We just recently um, went on pause again with respect to trial jurors. But our message to trial jurors that reported in the, in the, the midst of a pandemic was that they too were making history, that we were living in extraordinary times, but, but it takes extraordinary people to answer the call for jury service in the middle of a pandemic. And so I wanted them to know that they were making history, that when they met a young person, you know, families are home trying to homeschool their children and work. And, you know, I wanted our jurors to know that they were playing a critical role in history because they were making sure that that individuals were going to be able to have their day in court. And that could only happen because they answered the call.
Yeah, but answering the call and getting out of jury are two different things. And, uh, you know, for at least 100 years, probably more, prosecutors in particular um, use their peremptory challenges to systematically and strategically keep off African Americans off the jury. Is that still possible? If someone goes through the trouble of showing up, getting in the jury pool, are they going to get in a jury? Well, I would like to. I would like to think um, that they would, um, but I would take it. I would just go back a step and um, say that you first have to be in the pool, right? So again, when we look at underrepresented populations um, and where we identify them. Um, I think it, it's critical to engage those communities, again, to talk about the importance of jury service, because it, it's, it's, if they're not in the pool, then they're not going to be in your panel. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, the Supreme Court said in the Babson case of, I think it was 1986, that uh, it is blatantly illegal to... Um, discriminate against a, a juror because of their race, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, um, to to go back to what you said before, the of uh, the new narrative. So the the new narrative that you're that you're preaching is that jury service is a wonderful opportunity rather than a chore to be avoided. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Again, I think our, our jury system is the the one of the cornerstones of our democracy. You know, in order to have, um, uh, you know, I, I can't begin to stress the importance of having a diverse jury pool um, from the cross section of of, of the county, um, but. Again, I think when prospective jurors understand the importance of serving. And again, I like to, sometimes I ask jurors to think about the six degrees of separation, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. when you can um, understand your role as it relates to six degrees of separation. So I asked a juror once who said, you know, I can't serve. Um, You know, you can Google how to get out of jury service, and you'll get 101 uh, excuses of how to get out of jury service. And um, I think when people can connect it to their lives, so for example, uh, six degrees of separation, somebody you may know may need the court system. And in order to resolve a case, you know, it's either um, someone may settle, they take a plea, they may have a opt for a bench trial, or they may opt for a jury trial. And the whole process can be relatively stressful for both parties. And so when you're at the end and you're really looking to resolve that case, you know, individuals have that constitutional right to ask for a jury trial. And what if it was your family member who waited a long time to have their day in court? and they decided they wanted to exercise their constitutional right for a jury trial, wouldn't you want to know that people would show up, that they would be present, that they would um, 
be available, make themselves available to serve so that your family member could have their day in court. Let's say somebody uh, hears this and gets enthused and excited about what you've, what you've said and really wants to be considered for jury service. Is there anything they can do to throw their hat in the ring or they just have to wait around and for a questionnaire Absolutely to find its way to the mailbox? They don't have to wait. They can actually go to uh, the court's website, juror.gov, and there's a tab which says um, for t- to volunteer. And just keep in mind, in New York State, we, we have a two-step process. The first part of the process is that you complete a qualification questionnaire. If you are qualified, then you will go into a smaller pool of prospective jurors who are eligible to receive a summons. And uh, summonses are sent out based on the operational needs of the courts. And so I would say the first thing to do is if you're really fired up and you want to be a part of something great, then just go to the website and uh, volunteer to complete the juror questionnaire. Now, if you complete the questionnaire this week, it doesn't mean that we're going to call you next week. It may be some time before we call you, but at least you're in the pool of prospective jurors who are eligible to receive a summons. And that's, I think it's important for people to understand that we're in New York State, we're a two-step process. The first part is the qualification questionnaire. And then once you're qualified, you go into a smaller pool of jurors who are eligible to receive a summons. And um, we just want to encourage people to be in the pool for the opportunity to share about the importance of uh, jury service. And again, I think that um, I think more outreach. Um, we're in a great time right now to really reimagine um, what jury service can look like. And, um, you know, as a commissioner of jurors, to work with, within our community. As, as, you, uh, as you well know, um, a recent report by Jay Johnson, commissioned by the chief judge, was quite critical of the court system. Uh, chief Judge DeFiori has pledged her total commitment to improving diversity, rooting out bias, both explicit and implicit. How can the jury commissioners and how can communities of color grasp this moment, this opportunity? That is a great question. I think COJs, Commissioner Jurors, can actually reimagine our roles and our relationships to the people in the counties that we serve. Um, you know, for example, I see myself as a community commissioner. Um, I'm accessible to prospective jurors in the community. I often say, if you call, I'll come. Um, to talk about the importance of jury service, why it matters, and why you matter. I think there's a great opportunity for strategic outreach and juror education, again, explaining the why. COJs can be instrumental in creating the pathway for juror diversity and inclusion. I think COJs can help build bridges to improve juror diversity by connecting to underrepresented communities and populations. And it's, it's critical to understand how perspective is everything. Um, and I think the new narrative of you matter, um, there's an opportunity here for individuals to get involved. There's a lot of grassroots move, 
movement around, uh, you know, um, justice reform and what that looks like. And I think jury service is a is a, is an important uh, component of that. And I think also using data to identify underrepresented populations and communities is critical. CLJs have the opportunity to work with civic, community, faith-based organizations and bar associations. So I think that the um, report, as critical as it was, actually gives us an opportunity to sit at the table and to work towards um, work towards um, building a more uh, inclusive court system that is responsive to the community that it serves. And I think that the commissioner of jurors um, can pay, play an instrumental role in, in promoting the importance of jury service and the fact that you know diversity and inclusion in our jury system is, is important to us as well. Why is diversity and inclusion important, other than a matter of optics? I, it's, it's important because when you think about it, um, you know, we're charged with, you know, our, 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 our pool should be a cross-section of our county. And, and that means everyone. Right, and so if you have a particular population that's non-responding to to questionnaires or summonses, I, for me, for me, it's important for me. I'm a why person, John, so it's important for me to understand the why. I need to know why um, certain zip codes are not responding to the questionnaires, and so part of the work that I do because I'm a Y person, I'm going to look at that data. I'm going to go into that community. I'm going to look at all the civic engagements. I want to know who lives in that community. I want to look at the um, faith-based organizations in that community, the civic groups that are in that community. And I want to talk to them. I want to, I want to know. And, and it may be about, you know, how people experience the system or their beliefs about them about the system. And it's very easy to um, have an experience and feel like, you know, well, make generalizations based on that one experience, right? So if people feel that the system is not fair, how do you change that? Well, you know, just sitting on the sidelines and saying the system is not fair, it's not going to change the system. And if there's an opportunity for you to get involved, why would you not take that opportunity? And so I think that's why it's important for me, again, to go and to understand the why. And sometimes it's just sitting down and talking to people. You know, I, I went to a church once on, on Palm Sunday. I went to a Baptist church on Palm Sunday. I had a captive audience, <laughs> a captive mm -hmm. audience, to talk about the importance of jury service. And what I heard was you know, people's frustrations with the system. And a lot of it was, you know, a lack of understanding of how our system works. And, and again, when you talk about how can we remove the barriers? Now, there are plenty of barriers for people to serve jury service, but how do we begin to remove those barriers, right? Um, 
And so I tell people, you know, if you get a summons and when you get your summons, if you're not able to serve at that moment, we can give you a first-time postponement, right? If you're, if you're worried about employment, let me give you information to share with your employer about serving. And again, to the extent that I can provide information that may remove anybody's barriers to service um, or their thoughts or perceived barriers that they think they have to serve, but a lot of that requires time, it requires commitment, and it requires people to be willing to go into communities that they probably never thought they'd go into. But that's about building a bridge. Right? To let people know that their input, their presence is valuable, especially when it comes to our system. Um, again, when you have people from very different backgrounds, different experiences, they have a different perspective. And, and, and that perspective in the rooms can make a difference. It's about creating a space for understanding, and and it's important to invite everyone into that space. You know, create the space. And when I say create the space, um, again, as a commissioner, I'm in the communities. I'm with the faith-based organizations. You know, sometimes I hear people they say, "Well, I can't judge." <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I can't judge another person. I say, "Well, you know, it's really about listening." to the facts and making a decision based on the facts that are presented to, presented to you. You know, you're, you're not judging. Mm-hmm. You're, you're the decider of the facts. Um, it's a fact finding. You're listening. Um, and, and, and you're listening to the facts and you're making a decision based on the facts. And again, I think that as people begin to understand how our system works um, and the wonderful opportunity that's afforded to them, you know, um, to just be a part of our system. You know, years ago, if you were a woman, you couldn't sit. You know, if you were a minority, you couldn't sit on a, on a, on a, on a, on a jury. And now that, that, that's a possibility. It's a reality. Why would we not be a part of something. And for me, um, you know, when I think about what my family members marched for, you know, if, if, if they did not march, I would not be sitting in the desk that I currently am sitting in. And so, um, I, I don't think jury service is something that anyone should take for granted. People fought for that right, for you to be able to sit and serve. I really appreciate you doing this and the thought you put into it. Thank you. I, I thank you for the, the, the opportunity to just talk about the importance of jury service. You know, jury service, you say jury service, no one wants to hear it. Um, and so if anything... I would hope that I would be able to create a little excitement about it and um, maybe my passion will rub off <laughs> people. I don't know, but um, in order to you know, want a different day, you have to be a part of it.